Today is a great day, isn't it? It's a baptism day, it's an exciting day. Um, baptisms are full of rich tradition and they've been done for years and years. Are we sounding okay? Is it a bit tinny? Give me a nod if it's a bit annoying. I think this sound feels a bit weird. Yeah, oh, that's worked out okay. Good one. Um, and uh, it's where the old self is put to death. I'll use this. <laughs> Never mind. Madonna can wait. It's where the old self is put to death and we are reborn as these guys went down into the water, uh, they died in a way and then they came out uh, as new people, as new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So basically it's party time. And, and, um, and I'd like to talk to us today uh, a little bit about how God sees each of us individually different and how he calls each of us individually and he knows us specifically and he likes the detail in us, the detail in who we are and he's created us that way. But even though we kind of know that, we don't often let it penetrate who we are. We don't really believe that he actually is interested in the tiny detail of who we are. So I'm going to talk a bit about that. That he's called us individually and that he's chosen to risk his plan on us. God has chosen to risk his plan on us. And by that, I don't mean that actually the plan might not work and Jesus may never return, just in case anyone's wondering whether that's what I mean. What I mean is he chooses to partner with us. He's God, he's infinite, he's powerful, he could do whatever he likes. He could just rescue the world, he could repair everything, he could make all bad things good, he could do whatever he likes because he's God. But he chooses not to do that. He chooses to partner with us. And that's what I mean by he chooses to risk his plan on partnering with us and with you in this room. He chooses to partner with you. And that's what I want to drill into today. So it's not just this uh, theological thought that he chooses to partner with humanity, he chooses to partner with us and with you in your life. God wants to partner with you in your life. It's hard to believe. Because it's hard to believe, um, I wrote down a little conversation between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. And just, uh, just a little disclaimer, I wrote this. Uh, it wasn't actually a conversation I heard, um, and it isn't in the Bible. Um, it uses a few bits from the Bible, uh, but uh, just in case you were thinking, where is he getting this from? It's like the gospel according to lunacy. Um, this is just something I wrote. But it'll help us to understand, I hope, how God interacts uh, with humans. So the Spirit says, hey Father, I just wanted to let you know about an interaction I've had with a human. She has decided to follow Jesus. The father says, wonderful, what's her name? And the spirit says, Tessa Boomkeefer Baker. And the father says, are you serious? Is that a real name? Is that actually her middle name? And the spirit says, I know totally, I had to Google it just to make sure that it was a real name. But it is a real name. And everybody in this room is thinking, that's a strange name. I've got a friend called Miriam over there. She's going, oh, I might actually name my kid that one day. Um, but Boom Keeper is a name. Um, it's a Boom Keeper. Um, so the spirit says, I know it's a crazy name, but her dad had a holiday in Turkey, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, it ended up with a middle name like that. Um, but I wanted to tell you about this interaction. And so the father says, okay, 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 I'm sorry, I'm all ears. 
And then he says, I'm all everything, actually, because that's how I am. I'm just all things. Anyway, uh, then the Spirit says, so she was praying about following Jesus and has decided to get baptised. She was reading her Bible, so I thought I'd guide her through a few sections that might help her. We started with the old classic from Psalm 139 about her being fearfully and wonderfully made. She struggled to grasp the gravity of this, but at least she did get that you and me created her with the word. We created her. Well, you created her. Well, you know what I mean, anyway. So, but then she got a bit confused because although she knew that she'd been created by us, she couldn't get past the fact that there was billions of other humans, and so she felt devalued by the volume of humans rather than being valued by a relationship with us. And then I heard her think this. She thought, who am I and how can I possibly make a difference in the world? How can I play a part in God's story? Surely I'm just one of billions of people and there's nothing outstanding about me, is there? I've got normal qualifications, I've had normal jobs. I'm good at some things and not so good at other things. That's the same for anyone, isn't it? I've seen change makers, great communicators, heroes over faith, brave and courageous prayer warriors, but that is just not me. I'm normal, and to be honest, I quite like it that way. I think I'll do my best to be a good and kind person. I'll try and read my Bible and pray now that I'm a Christian. I'll, read, I'll treat other people really well. I'll try not to get angry. I'll go to church. I'll get on a rotor. I'll blend in. The Father sighs. Ah, the wide road of Christian assimilation. We've lost so many disciples to Christian duty. It consumes people's purpose. The Spirit says, I know. And I reminded her of Proverbs 20, verse 5. The, pers- the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. I wanted her to see that we put those purposes there in the depths of who she was, so that she has to get below the veneer and journey to find those purposes. I wanted her to see uh, that people only discover their purpose when they pursue it and chase it down with us, in partnership with us. It doesn't simply drop into their lap like a mission from on high. But then she started to worry that this was all a little bit navel-gazy, she was somehow meant to discover purpose in herself, and surely that was just a bit hippie. Surely it was a road to ruin. Humans often find it hard to believe, don't they, that we created them in our own image, that we made them, that we put ourselves inside them, that we breathe life into them every day, that they have us in them. And even though she's invited Jesus into her life, she still doesn't quite get that he actually took her up on the offer. And he lives there. St. Paul wasn't messing about when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I now no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Galatians 2, verse 20. And and the father said, I know, I know, I've got the verses down. (laughs) So the spirit carried on. So I, I decided to put her mind at rest, that we have a purpose that she's part of. We have a purpose. God has a purpose, and we're part of that. I showed her Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
This reassured her that we're in charge and we're in control and we have a plan. But I wanted her to know that this wasn't just a general purpose that she could relax into, but a specific and it's an ongoing pro pro process and purpose. I showed her Philippians 2, 12, 13. So she would understand this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The father says, so this conversation went on for a while then. It's impressive that she managed to concentrate for such a long time. So many humans can only focus for a few minutes before becoming distracted by their phones or squirrels or televisions. <laughs> the spirit says, I know. Um, but she's serious about following Jesus, so she's in that intent zone that people get into where they want to look everything up in the Bible. It is so much easier to speak to people when they're like this. It's like, it's because they for a while do actually get that this is a life or death situation. So for a moment they take it seriously. So while I had attention, I wanted her to really know who she was and go into that, some of that identity stuff. I love it when people hear, the Father says, I love it when people hear truths and promises that, are, that we've put in the Bible. It changes how they see uh, themselves in the light of who we are. And when that happens, all things become possible. And the Spirit says, yeah. Although despite knowing this in her head, she struggled to believe it still in her heart. How could it be that she had been chosen to be a co-builder in this kingdom of heaven? Little her. And the father says, it will come. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a journey. It's an adventure. But she will come to it. Over the course of her life, she will discover that her purpose and our purpose collide. As she makes herself available and is open to being fully her. And in order to do that, she needs to reject the lies that she's bad, God is good. She will eventually embrace the fact that if she is fearfully and wonderfully made, then she is good. That we live in her. That working out her salvation daily is about becoming more, than, more herself than she has ever been. Following the way is about throwing, up, throwing off the baggage of who the world thinks she should be and delving deep into what we have placed within her at the start of everything. The real journey begins when she decides to say, here I am, Lord, I'm totally yours, and I'm totally available. But that is hard to believe, isn't it, for us, as we figure out what it could mean, or what it does mean, to follow Jesus. I wonder what it's like for you, uh, when you're sitting here, you're thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not a Christian, uh, I visited, I thought I'd come and see some, some of my mates get thrown into a load of water. Um, and you're not quite sure what you think about this whole God thing. Either way, it's a big thing, isn't it, to be thinking about the concept of a whole good creator God saying, I want to partner with you. I like who you are, because I made you. And I like the quirkiness about your character. I like the fact you get annoyed at this and you laugh at this. I like the fact that you spit that out of your mouth and you always like eating this. I like the fact that this, this is your mate and this person you think is annoying. I'm interested in all things. 
in your life. Can you kind of get your head around that? It's hard to do, isn't it? The fact that you are an individual and he is calling you and inviting you on a journey. It's not just some crazy, abstract God saying, I'm going to work with people. It's a, a personal, relational God saying, I want to connect with you and who you are. We get frozen into inactivity if we think we're not individually called. We're really on this adventure. It's really happening. I think that's kind of something that personally for me, um, I feel is something God gives me all the time whenever I speak to say, is say to people, it's real, wake up. It's not a dream. It's not just theory. This is actually happening. This is something that you're part of. This whole thing with Jesus that you read about in the Bible, we're out working it still. And you're in the story. It's exciting. Once our identity is safe in God and we know who we are, we're created in that, uh, in, in his image. Uh, that he'll use us in our situation, wherever that is, in our work, in our place of study, wherever we spend our lives, he's going to use us. We can be totally us. We don't have to act up to be some sort of uh, you know, kind of poster image that you've got of what a Christian should be like. That's not what God wants. He wants you to be more you than you ever knew you could be. He wants to draw out the good that he's put in you and make you more you. There's a whole load of stuff that kind of ends up sticking to us from uh, what the world chucks at us, what people chuck at us, and it, and it doesn't need to be there. It's not who we are. If you're in any doubt about this, have a little scoot through the Bible and see what you find about who God chooses to work with because he doesn't pick who you typically think would be picked. He works uh, with all sorts of strange and weak and vulnerable people. He works with bizarre people um, and he loves people who live in the desert and uh, you know eats all, all sorts of bizarre creatures. He, he's up for working with weirdos, which I think is a relief. He risks his plan on people who are available. He doesn't risk his plan on people who are impressive. He risks his plan on people who are available and are willing to follow him, who are obedient, I guess. So Abraham struggled to trust God. He had sex with his servant. He was super old. God still cho chose him to father a nation. Bit of an unusual choice. Moses was an adopted immigrant, a murderer, and he had this massive speech impediment, and God still chose him to rescue a nation. David was a shepherd boy, but God still chose him to slay a giant, and when every other Israelite was terrified. And then when he was an adult, he was a murderer, he was a jealous man who had sex with someone else's wife, and God still chose him to lead a nation back to him in worship. Mary was about 15, and she wasn't married yet, and still God chose her to bear his son. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine being her. She lived with all those rumours and the gossip. He risked it on this probably 13, 14-year-old girl. He risked his plan. The shepherds who, who heard the angels singing, I just love the thought of God enjoying this moment of uh, the shepherds where uh, the, the Jesus is born as the star, you know, that whole nativity scene, and there's the shepherds in the field, and then God chooses to 
display one of only two instances in the Bible where a full angelic choir turn up and belt it out. And he, and he does one of those uh, shows for the shepherd boys, who were probably uh, similar age to Mary, probably about 14, not adults yet, not trusted members of society, and God goes, we're going to give them an absolute show. I love the, I love the thought of being one of those angels. I, I don't really know what angels are totally, I'm not completely down on my theology of angels, maybe some of you can tell me later on, but what I do pick up is that they are beings that are not quite as able to choose as people are. They're not totally like humans, but they are beings that worship God. And basically their job is to worship God. But they kind of do have some choice because apparently the devil was one, and so he chose not to follow Jesus. So anyway, this angel... (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, this angel uh, is getting ready for the the big choir thing. Apparently there's only some shepherds or whatever. And this guy's like, okay... Occasionally people see angels, right? But hardly ever do you hear them. So they worship in heaven all day long. Hail hail to the Lamb, worship the Lamb, all that jazz, loads of Lamb stuff. So they're worshipping away in heaven. Occasionally they get to absolutely let it rip on earth, but only twice as far as we know. Oh, that's been written down. And you get to be one of those angels who's in the choir. You're like getting out the electric guitar, you're like... We've turned up. <laughs> anyway, imagine the, imagine the feeling of being that. Anyway, so and then, and then imagine if you're a shepherd and you're thinking, what the flip is going on? Anyway, so God chooses to risk all of that. They were probably untouchable as well, and he chooses to get his choir out for them. Um, Peter was an uneducated, aggressive fisherman who chopped soldiers' ears off and denied any knowledge of Jesus, and yet... And, he, and then he walks on water, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I wonder whether he tried that again. I sort of think whether later on, Peter went, I'm going to have a second go at that. There's no one looking. Um, very normal people that God chooses to partner with. Um, but God still chose him to be the rock that the church is built on, even though he's this bonkers bloke. And very normal. Jesus uh, was born under political oppression. He was a refugee because someone wanted to kill him when he was three. Uh, Eventually, he returned to an area called the Badlands. People said nothing good would ever come from there. Um, He was brought up by a teenage mum and a carpenter dad. He had dinner with tax collectors uh, and prostitutes when he was was older. He He broke loads of laws that people said, this guy's awful. And God still chose him to be the saviour of the world. He works with people who are surprising. And he works with us. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, used to kill Christians for a living. And God still chose to use him to spread most of his church across the known world. Because God doesn't pick people because they are who we look at and think they're impressive. He does not interested in you because you look right, because you've got a good CV, or because you've got a good reputation. He'll pick you if you're obedient and you're available. So my question is, are you available to God? Are you obedient? And by that's a bit of a weird word, I don't like it. It makes me think of being told off as a kid. But um, are you willing to trust God and do what he says? Because he's got a great plan to be part of. God always uses normal people. He wants to use us. And York will be transformed only if, for some bizarre reason, God, we partner with God in that. God could transform York in a, in a blink. 
but he chooses not to. So are we going to partner with him in transforming it, in being part of making York more like the kingdom of Christ? Are we going to do that? St. Olive's school will become more like the kingdom of Christ because Andy and the Faulkner family are awake to who God has made them to be and they're doing it right there. The world of business will become more like the kingdom of Christ because Gav uh, is awake to who God has made him to be and he's doing it right there. The Hempland School will become more like the kingdom of Christ because Emma Call is awake to who God has made her to be and she's doing that right there. Philosophy Department of York Uni will become more like the Kingdom of Christ because Josh Cocaine is awake to who God has made him to be and he's doing it right there. The prisons of this country will become... <laughs> you can see where this is going. <laughs> um, more like the Kingdom of Christ because Ewan Matheson is awake to who God has made him to be and he's doing it right there in amongst people working with people in the prisons. And Starbucks will become more like the Kingdom of Christ because Liz Campbell is awake to who God has made her to be and she's doing that right there. Who are you going to be and who has God, where has God placed you? Are you willing to make the place that you spend your life more like the kingdom of Christ by following him? By being awake to who God has called you to be and who's made you to be. He's not looking for you to be anyone else other than that. He's totally happy with who you are. He likes you more than you do. And he wants to draw that more out more. Will you go on this adventure of discovering who you're created to be and who you're meant to be? Will you be one of the normal ones that's part of God's story? Because if you will, he won't leave you high and dry or soaking wet. He'll lift you up to his level and say, come alongside me. Be my hands and feet in this world. I want to work with you. Are you ready to say, here I am, I'm totally yours, I'm totally available.